Welcome to the Mind for Life podcast. The Mind for Life podcast. Where your thinking can change your life. And now, here's your host, Jeff Bogazic. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mind for Life podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Jeff Ogazic. I will be your host here, where our topic is always about how you can live a better life by intentional and productive thinking. Your thought life is the key to how you live and how you experience the world, both for the positive and the negative. I'm really excited today. Our topic is about the value and authority of science as opposed to scientism. Uh, The topic, the title is called The Limits of Science. And this is a big deal today. We're going to get into it in a few minutes. But first, I want to give you a free communication course. One of the major parts of our communication skill development has to do with listening and attending to someone else when they're speaking to us. In fact, while we may think that our ability to talk is the most important part of our communication, from everyone else's perspective, and isn't that what really matters when it comes to our communication skills, what everyone else thinks about us and not what we think about ourselves, from everyone else's perspective, the most important part of our communication is our ability to listen to be able to attend to someone, to listen to them and value what they say. That attributes value to their person. They feel important. They feel special. They feel valued and significant. And this is the most important part of our communication. And we have a free listening and attending skills course available for you on our website, mindforlife.org. That's mindforlife.org. Just click on the link and it's yours. I want to encourage you to give our course a try and see if it helps you in your life. Because when you improve your listening and your attending skills, What does it do? It improves your relationships with your spouse or with your boyfriend or girlfriend or with your friends. It is so huge. Everyone knows what it's like to be speaking with someone who doesn't have good listening skills. You feel like they don't care about you because they're not listening. They don't care about what you say. They don't feel that you are significant and important. And these feelings can be destructive, especially in the relationships in our lives that really matter the most. So go ahead, give it a try, and let us know what you think. It's free for you. Just go to our website, mindforlife.org, click on the link, and it's yours. Now, on to the topic for today. What's the value of science? What's the value of science? I want to start out by reading you the title of an article that I recently read, which was published in the New York Post. The article is written by Susanna Callahan, and the title of the article is Medical Studies Are Almost Always Bogus. 
You can look it up online, and I will provide a link to it in the show resources so you can read it for yourself. But what does it say? Let me read to you some excerpts. Uh, The author says, Many medical studies are junk. It's an open secret in the research community, and it even has a name, the reproducibility crisis. For any study to have legitimacy, it must be replicated. That means it needs to be redone by another scientist. Yet only half of medical studies, which are celebrated in newspapers, hold water under any serious follow-up scrutiny. And about two-thirds of the sexiest cutting-edge reports, including the discovery of new genes linked to obesity or mental illness, are later disconfirmed. Now, we don't usually hear about the ones that are disconfirmed, unfortunately. Take one example. For many years, research on breast cancer was conducted on misidentified melanoma cells. Let me say it again. For many years, research on breast cancer was conducted on misidentified melanoma cells, which means that thousands of papers published in credible scientific journals were actually studying the wrong cancer. It's impossible to know how much this sloppy use of the wrong cells has set back research into breast cancer. Now, we don't hear about that. Another study claimed to have invented a blood test that could detect ovarian cancer, which would mean much earlier diagnoses. The research was hailed as a major breakthrough on morning shows and in newspapers, Further scrutiny, however, revealed the only reason the blood test worked was because the researchers tested the two batches on two separate days. All the women with ovaria cancer on day one and the ones without the disease on the next day. Instead of measuring the differences in the cancer, the blood test had in fact measured the day-to-day differences in the machine. Why is this the case? Not about that study particularly, but why is it the case that these medical studies turn out to be bogus or false? Well, the article gives several reasons. First of all, think about, if you will, the incredible complexity of science and the world around us. Think about this. Science... While it is hailed for the incredible knowledge it has brought to us through scientific discovery, unfortunately has a history of always getting it wrong. Scientists base their theories on the research available at the time, but we know that current research, that current data is always a work in progress. It is never settled. And we should expect that new discoveries, which we know will come in the future, will uh, reveal new information that makes previous theories or even theories now look ridiculous. A prime example is Charles Darwin's theory of spontaneous generation. 
if you're not familiar with that. Charles Darwin thought that life would spontaneously generate from non-life because he scientifically observed maggots magically appearing on rotting flesh. Now, from our vantage point here in 2017, we look back at this and see how ridiculous it was to think that, that life would spontaneously generate from non-life. But we also realize that he didn't have, at the time, the knowledge of microscopic organisms. He formed a theory on incomplete knowledge, and we need to understand that all scientific theories are to some extent based on limited and incomplete knowledge. We don't know everything. Guess what? Scientists don't know everything. They know a lot, granted, but they don't know everything. And we, recon- uh, we need to recognize that science will bring in the future new knowledge and new information that will change the theories that we're making today. Second, we shouldn't be naive or stupid enough to believe that scientists are infallible. Do we really believe that scientists know everything there is to know about the specific phenomena they're investigating. We shouldn't be naive enough to believe that they know every single thing about it. They may know a lot, granted, but not everything. Additionally, uh, they are proposing their theories based on what? Their interpretation of the data. And as we mentioned in our last podcast, all Human interpretation is biased because it comes from humans who have predispositions and biases. So, yes, of course, scientific uh, research is intended to be non-biased, but the interpretation of data is always biased. Think about, if you will, the science on climate change as an example. Do we really believe that human scientists know absolutely everything there is to know about how climate patterns work and how global temperatures work and all of the potential, every single possible potential agent which affects climate and global temperatures? Do we really believe that? Listen, we know they can't even get the weather forecast correct 50% of the time, and yet we're supposed to believe that they are 100% sure without a shred of doubt that humans are responsible for global warming or global climate change. I'm not saying humans are not responsible, but what I am saying is let's take a step back and recognize that scientists don't know everything and that they are developing theories and models, right? That that popular term is uh, something that's used, that we have computer models that, of course, show this. What computer models are dependent upon what? What? The humans who write the code. And what type of data gets input into the model? 
Of course, if there's data out there that scientists are unaware of, that they don't know how it affects certain things, it can't be input to the model, and it can't then affect how the model makes its conclusions. What I am saying is that let's consider also what biases might be in place that could lead to such a charge that humanity is responsible for climate change. Notwithstanding the incredible amount of political power, money, and lobby effects that could be pushing this agenda. Do you realize how climate policies are transferring huge amounts of wealth. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars from certain groups of people to other groups of people based on political relationships. And, are, and, and we're supposed to just accept the science and not consider how any bias could be pushing research and helping to form theories and outcomes. Again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned with our planet. We should absolutely be good stewards of the resources we have here. We should absolutely take care of this planet for our future and for our children's future. But let's not just give science the authority to make determinations based on its limited and incomplete knowledge and it's limited and incomplete data to determine with 100% certainty that humanity is responsible for global warming uh, or climate change, especially when we know from past quote-unquote scientific research that the planet was much warmer at times and much colder at times through heat cycles and ice ages prior to humans even living on the planet. Quoting from the article, it goes on to say this, Luckily, there is a growing group of people working to expose the ugly side of how research is done. One of them is Stanford professor John Ioannidis. Considered one of the heroes of the reproducibility movement, he's written extensively on the topic, including a paper titled, Why Most Published Scientific Research Findings Are False. Here's one for you. He's found, for example, out of tens of thousands of papers touting discoveries of specific genes linked to everything from depression to obesity, only 1.2%, get it, 1.2% had truly positive results. What does that mean? 98.8%? were not positive. Meanwhile, he has followed 49 studies that have been cited at least a thousand times. And of those 49, seven, uh, 49 studies, seven of them had been flatly contradicted by further research. What does that mean? The study made uh, suppositions based on research at the time, and then new research came out, which always happens in science, to flatly contradict the previous uh, propositions. This is a regular aspect of scientific research. And we need to understand that 
and consider that. Neil Postman, who was a communication scholar, wrote about our culture's uncritical reliance on technology. And in his writings, he wrote about an experiment in persuasion. He would regularly test on his professional colleagues. He would simply come up with some ridiculous premise like, did you know that um, eating dates after midnight uh, will contribute to a higher rise in diabetes. This was a recent study by MIT. And he would cite it, whatever the ridiculous premise was, he would say it and then he would cite it as the finding of a recent study conducted. And he said, I usually found better results if I used MIT or Stanford or whatever. And inevitably his colleagues would, would believe him. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I hadn't heard that. That's very interesting. They would believe him because, because of their uncritical acceptance of the authority of scientific research. As I'm working on this podcast, I just came across a new study that says, guess what? Eating salt can help you lose weight. How many times have we heard that salt is bad for you? You should limit your sodium intake. And now the study comes out and says, what? Salt is good for you. You can lose weight. Now, I don't know whether or not the one study before that is true or this study is true. And this is the problem with scientific research and falsification, because what do we really believe? Which one is right? When two studies come out that seem to be contradictory of one another. This reminds me of a study by John Bohannon, who purposely conducted a fraudulent study on the health benefits of chocolate and ended up convincing millions of people, including the news media, that eating chocolate makes you lose weight. I'll link to the article. Uh, it's called How the Chocolate Diet Hoax Fooled Millions in the show Resources. But he went on to talk about the fact that he basically fabricated a false study wrote a press release, got it out in the media, and multiple media outlets were reporting on this false study, which he published through some kind of a shady journal. And it got around the world and everybody was thinking that, oh yeah, we can eat chocolate and lose weight. He went on to describe the unhealthy relationship between the media and scientific researchers Researchers need media attention to get uh, grant-limited funding for their research, right? Limited grant funding. The media, especially in an era of 24-7 news, need more compelling and, com and uh, competing stories in order to compete in the marketplace with the other platforms. They need more content to put out to their audiences so they're always looking for new research or new studies or something flashy that will do what? Get eyeballs on their content, get clicks, and get advertising dollars. No content, no audience, no ad dollars. And these external factors cause media to look for and even accept fraudulent and splashy research findings so that they can report on them in order to gain 
audience to gain eyeballs on their products, get clicks and add dollars. Scientists in their pursuit of limited funding, they need dollars for their research. So sometimes the dollars direct the research to areas that are media friendly and splashy. And I'm not saying that this is always the case. But based on the two articles that we read previously, we know this happens often. We've already talked about that. And that false and fake news gets around the world twice before the truth even gets its shoes on, as someone once said. So what's the point of all this? Should we distrust science? I don't think so, necessarily. But I would suggest that we start to think critically about what science is telling us and why, that we start thinking about what are the limitations of science, that we start thinking about the fact that scientific knowledge is always a work in progress. It will always, to a certain extent, be limited and incomplete, and we should expect that in the future, new information, new knowledge, new technologies, which will help us to research and investigate things at different levels, will come Do we ever think that we will know all there is to know about everything in the world? No. Does that mean that we can't make theories or test hypotheses about certain things? No, of course not. We do that. But yet we don't have to just automatically accept science as the ultimate authority on everything when we know it is limited and incomplete. If history has taught us one thing, it is that we will never know everything. And that should give us pause when people start dictating things to us based upon the authority of science. And please don't get me wrong. I believe in science, as someone once said. And I believe that science is mostly trustworthy and reliable. But I also understand that there are other factors. And I also recognize the limitations And next week, we will talk about the unhealthy reliance we have on science and technology and how that contributes to our quality of life. So thanks for listening. This has been the Mind for Life podcast. Again, the transcript for this episode is available on our website, mindforlife.org. When you're online, please stop by, give us a visit. We have other resources and blog posts, uh, book recommendations on the website, as well as the transcripts and links to all of our other podcasts. Don't forget also the free communication course, Listening Skills Development Program, If you would help us out by recommending our podcast and our blog to your friends, we'd appreciate it. If you enjoyed this, share it on social media, share it with a friend. The share links are right under the web player, or you can share it through iTunes or anything like that. Also, if you are listening through iTunes or one of the other podcast platforms, please give us a review. Tell us what you think. You can sign up on our email list of the website for critical updates and different news, things that are coming up. And we promise we will not spam you. Thanks again. Let me leave you with a final thought for the week. Next time you hear someone cite a study, or give some type of scientific research, don't automatically accept it uncritically. Ask yourself, 
what might be going on behind the scenes. Is it possible that that study is based on limited and incomplete data? Is it possible that that study is based on a human interpretation of the data from a particular bias? Is it possible that that bias is influenced by funding dollars or even political relationships? We must attune ourselves to question the things that are given to us, knowing full well that those things many times are given from a particular perspective and with a particular agenda. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.